Bruce Friedman of Adult Site Broker, and welcome to Adult Site Broker Talk, where every week we interview one of the movers and shakers of the adult industry, and we discuss what's going on in our business. Plus, we give you a tip on buying and selling websites. This week, we'll be talking to PR guru Brian Gross of BSG Public Relations. Adult Site Broker is proud to announce Adult Site Broker Cash, the first affiliate program for an adult website brokerage. With Adult Site Broker Cash, you'll have the chance to earn as much as 20% of our broker commission, referring sellers and buyers to us at Adult Site Broker. Check our website at adultsitebroker.com for more details. First of all today, let's cover some of the news going on in our industry. Prosecutors said they have filed seven additional sexual assault counts against adult film actor Ron Jeremy, which together with previous charges carry a maximum sentence of more than 300 years in prison. The seven new counts filed by the L.A. County DA's office involve six women and go back to 1996, the prosecutor's office said in a statement. They add to other charges previously filed against Jeremy, whose real name is Ron Jeremy Hyatt. If convicted on all of the more than 30 counts, Jeremy faces a maximum possible sentence of 330 years to life in prison, the DA's office said. The new charges include three counts of forcible rape, two counts of forcible oral copulation, and one count each of sexual battery by restraint and assault with intent to commit forcible digital penetration. In all, prosecutors allege that there were 23 victims in crimes from 1996 to 2020. Jeremy's attorney, Stuart Goldfarb, said he was surprised by the additional charges. They are more of the same, and why they're piling on at this juncture is strange, he said. He doesn't deny being with some of these women, but it was consensual, Goldfarb said. The new charges, which span 17 years, involve alleged victims ages 17 to 38, according to the DA's office. Jeremy is accused of having raped a 19-year-old woman during a photo shoot in the San Fernando Valley area of L.A. in 1996. He is also accused of having raped a woman at a party at a nightclub and a 17-year-old at a home in the Woodland Hills neighborhood. Jeremy was arrested and charged in June. Later, more counts were filed. He was being held in lieu of $6.6 million bail, according to the L.A. County Sheriff's records. The Mitchell Brothers O'Farrell Theater, San Francisco's legendary adult entertainment venue, has permanently closed due to COVID-19, and its interior has been gutted, according to local news site SF Gate. An SFGate Remembrance piece published Friday and entitled Where All the Lost Souls Came Together, SF's O'Farrell Theater Strip Club Closes After 50 Years, only includes a few details about the final closure decision. As part of its official closure, its walls have been stripped bare and its lavish interior has been gutted, the author wrote, adding that despite just celebrating its 50th anniversary, the club's amber-colored marquee, which advertised anything from wild girls to pornographic feature films, will finally dim its lights due to COVID-19. Being a native San Franciscan, I have some fond memories of the O'Farrell Theater. Rest in peace. 
An assistant attorney general of the U.S. Department of Justice has written a letter to the congressional committees currently reviewing projects to repeal or radically reform Section 230, the so-called First Amendment of the Internet, arguing that the legislation should be altered or completely tossed in order to start on fresh canvas. Assistant AG Stephen Boyd wrote to the House and Senate Judiciary and Commerce Committees claiming Section 230 immunity allows platforms to, and I quote, act in bad faith or in a way that demotes the speech of others based on political viewpoint. That text provides immunity only for content removed in good faith because it is obscene, lewd, filthy, excessively violent, harassing, or otherwise objectionable, not merely because the platform operators themselves dislike or disagree with it, the Trump-appointed assistant AG wrote, acting on behalf of William Barr's entire DOJ. Weeks after approving unprecedented changes to its county code in order to target sexually oriented businesses, the Cobb County Board of Commissioners has permanently revoked the local business license for Atlanta-area adult boutique Tokyo Valentino. Last week, the Cobb County Commission voted to revoke Tokyo Valentino's business license in a hearing that had originally been planned for last month, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reported. The onslaught of municipal harassment against Tokyo Valentino is being watched around the country as a bellwether for local moralist strategies to restrict free access to sexual expression, education, and products via regulatory and zoning issues. The code amendments passed earlier in September, reported local newspaper East Cobb News, would limit sex shops and other adult businesses to two industrial zoning categories. All such businesses would be required to obtain a special license and employees would have to be issued a special permit. Such a regulation has the effect of forcing any business dealing with sex to set up in areas with a higher crime rate, self-fulfilling the prophecy of the guardians of morality who associate sexually oriented businesses with a broad panic-inducing laundry list of secondary crimes. Now let's feature our property of the week that's for sale at Adult Site Broker. We are proud to offer for sale a novelty manufacturer and website with pop culture-themed silicone products. Their products are niche, yet relevant to mainstream audiences and are incredibly shareable, as evidenced by the hundreds of articles written about the brand on outlets such as Playboy, Vice, BuzzFeed, Mashable, Penthouse, Lad Bible, Cosmo, Nerdist, Refinery29, Pop Sugar, and more. They also have a diehard community of more than 40,000 social media followers, in addition to their email list of over 10,000. All traffic to the website is self-created. No ads have been purchased. The traffic is all organic, social, and direct. This company can and has been run by two people part-time, or it could be scaled up or merged with a much larger company with very minimal effort. The company has incredible potential for expansion, but it also has a solid four-year history of year-over-year growth and a huge community of dedicated fans. All manufacturing equipment is provided with everything needed to continue running the business, including all product molds and related materials. Also included is about $50,000 worth of product stock. You get all this 
for only $675,000 U.S. dollars. Now time for this week's interview. My guest today on Adult Site Broker Talk is Brian Gross, president of BSG Public Relations. Brian, thanks for being with us today on Adult Site Broker Talk. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, Brian's been in the media and public relations space for over 27 years. He's been employed by companies such as Deaf American Recordings, Warner Brothers Records, Reprise Records, Electra Entertainment Group, Vivid Entertainment Group. Uh, Brian was an executive producer for Reality X, The Search for Adam and Eve. His background includes all facets of public and media relations, working with some of the largest businesses, celebrities, and music acts in the world. Brian certainly is one of the go-to PR people in the adult space. Um, so maybe you can uh, fill us in on some of the people you're working with now. Well, I mean, I have a wide assortment of clientele, both in and out of the adult industry. But uh, adult-wise, I work with the AVN Expo. Uh, I work mm -hmm. with companies like the Vixen Media Group and Adult Time. Uh, I yeah. work with uh, talent like Maitland Ward, um, and Sarah Vandella. I work with Mr. Right. Skin. I also have novelty companies like Oh My Bod, uh, and Screaming O. Um, and I've worked with Auto Blow for many years and, and, mm -hmm. uh, Brian Sloan's many different products. Okay. So, uh, and then I've got Sherry's Ranch. And mm. so it's a, it's a wide variety of stuff. I've also worked a couple horror projects, a couple music projects recently that uh, have done decently well. And um, yeah, so I mean, I'm, I always take on a, a wide variety of stuff that's certainly challenging and, uh, and fun. I didn't know you were doing Mr. Skin. I love the work you're doing for them. You, you seem to keep them in the news a lot. I try. I mean, they, uh, they, they had a documentary come out that, and I will not take mm -hmm. credit, they had a firm that specifically handled that documentary and did a phenomenal sure. job. Uh, around that, but working with that company and and getting to put out really fun releases and and getting you know interesting media pickups with them and 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 just working with a great team. They oh, have an yeah. incredible team of people there that do. you know they and do. I do that that are wonderful. Um, yeah. I'm also doing a lot of content creator stuff just for fans mm. and a new company called Foxy and mm -hmm. and stuff on that end. So that's keeping me busy as well, which uh, which has been incredible. Fantastic. You know, when, once you take on uh, someone like, say, just for fans, um, does that kind of keep you from taking on a competitor? No, I mean, it, each company is a little different. Certainly, if there are mm -hmm. companies that are exactly alike, that's one thing. But mm -hmm. I've always had companies, a, a couple companies in in whatever space it is. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, back Back in the 2000s, I had like three or four or five Gonzo companies, and mm. they'd be unique in their own way, and and sure. we would promote them and and garner mm. attention. Obviously, there's uh, you know all kinds of talent that I've worked with over the years and still do. So you know I'm very transparent uh, or try to be as much as possible uh, when I when I'm working with a client. Um, mm -hmm. I had spoken to a company that uh, I'm discussing uh, you know negotiating working with, and and certainly there are companies in their space, but they all tend to work together as well. So um, yeah. it's sort of synergies and relationships as far as that goes. Yeah, especially an adult. Now, uh, tell us about your upbringing. So, I mean, I'm born and raised in Southern California, born in Hollywood. I grew up in Newbury mm -hmm. Park, California, up in Ventura County, you know, straight suburbs, pretty mm -hmm. much a straightforward 80s kid. And you know, sort of found my calling uh, my senior year of high school uh, when I interned at a record label. And, you know, I would spend three days a week driving from uh, Newbury Park to Burbank to mm -hmm. spend days where I, you know, one day I'd 
meet Henry Rollins. You know, one day uh, the band Flipper, uh, a NorCal punk group would be there. Uh, one day I'm having lunch and I'm 17 and Ogre from Skinny Puppy sits down next to me and we have an hour conversation. Uh, the people that work at the label, obviously the label is Deaf American owned by Rick Rubin. Mm-hmm. The people at the label are all incredibly talented and still very much involved in the music industry in one one way or another. And it was a really crash course education on on the industry and on public relations. So sure. I got that really early, um, you know, went away to school for a little bit, but came back, worked on the Lollapalooza tour uh, in 94 and then just started working my way up, taking internships, taking assistant jobs working my way to a regional and um, uh, a regional and tour publicity gig at Electra. And then uh, in 99, I was offered the uh, head of PR and marketing at Vivid and, you know, made a, made a turn into the adult industry. And uh, that was that. So I uh, was there almost two years, started my company in 2001. Fantastic. Now, how did you start? I guess you kind of answered the question, uh, how you started your career in media relations and PR. You want to expand on that at all? Uh, in regard in general, in PR, uh, in general. The, yeah. So, I mean, it, I mean, it's a funny story where it's literally the person who answered the phone at deaf American. What they would do is when the receptionist would go to lunch, mm-hmm. the last hire would answer the phones. And I called in and said, Hey, I want an internship. And I had called major record labels and they said you had to be in college in order to intern. It was fine. Mm-hmm. I wasn't I was in high school. <laughs> so the person who answers the phone, uh, is in the public, you know, publicity department at deaf American. And I oh, go, Hey, nice. I want an internship. And she literally goes, well, come in tomorrow and interview. And I went, mm. Oh shit. You know, it just sort of caught me off guard. Cause I was used to just being rejected left and right. So I sure. put on a shirt and tie showed mm-hmm. up. And the first thing she said is you're never going to wear that again. Yeah. <laughs> and before I, I was going to, I was, I was going to say at a record label. <laughs> yeah. Well, you just didn't, I mean, I'm 17 going right. for an interview, you know, right. I mean, again, talk about crash course, mm-hmm. you know, no one, there's the, you might have one or two discussions of interviews in, in a high school class mm-hmm. uh, about that. So, um, so she brought me on, you know, obviously it's an unpaid internship, but I mean, I was given, concert tickets. And at the time, I know this sounds funny, but CDs and, uh, and just spending time with these incredible people and learning so much in such a short period of time. I interned there for roughly about eight months right before I left for college. So it was, like I say, a crash course education in public relations with some of the finest people in the music industry, uh, who have either stayed on or gone to other industries as well. So it was a phone call. It was literally, if the person who had answered the phone was in radio or in A&R, uh, my life uh, takes a completely different turn. That's wild. Now, what was working in the record industry like? It was, in, it was unbelievable. It was every day was a, an experience. Every day that I went in there, uh, I was, like I said, meeting new bands, new artists, new people, making new friendships that I still have to this day. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. gleaming onto my mentors who I still consider mentors of mine. Um, and as I worked my way up, it just, the challenges increased. And so, you know, by the time I was at Electra, again, a tour and regional publicist, and I'm not making a lot of money, mind you. I mean, you didn't sure. get into those gigs to get rich. You got into yeah. them because you worked in an industry unlike any other in the world. So, you know, one of the things that, you know, is something I take to heart is that, 
I'm on, you know, first name basis with some of the members of Metallica, you know, some mm. of them don't remember my name because it is what it is, but <laughs> I became very close with Lars Ulrich. Uh, Lar- you know, I would set up a lot of publicity for the band. Um, you know, I worked uh, many of their tours between 96 and 99, all of their West Coast tours, obviously, wow. and maintain those relationships with, you know, the band and their management. So, you know, you know, I was there, you know, for the very first moment of Third Eye Blind. And then I had things like Motley Crue and I had things like I would, you know, was one of the first people to hear the Missy Elliott out her debut album uh, and so on. So you got to be involved and promote some of these things that have lived on in infamy and, and are just incredible bodies of work. Wow. Sounds like quite an experience. Um, when did you make the jump into the adult industry? So, uh, beginning of 99, uh, I sort of saw the writing on the wall in the music industry being Napster at all and piracy and being like this, you know, I was, you know, I, I was a low man on a totem pole in the satellite office of a massive label that at the time had a publicity department, both East and West coast of about 15 people, which is unheard of of now. And I just was like, I, I better start figuring myself out here, figuring out a career move or what I'm going to do. And at the same time, uh, one of my very closest, two of my closest friends, one was the publicist at Vivid and one was the brother of the owner of Vivid. And the publicist at the time was going to to really move uh, the company forward in the, you know, sort of with online and internet and everything going on uh, mm-hmm. in that regards into the adult industry in the late 90s. And they needed, they were going to hire a publicist. And I interviewed and uh, was offered the job uh, in, um, I want to say February or early March of, uh, late February of um, of 99. And it was mm. an offer that I couldn't refuse. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Now, you worked with Vivid, argu- arguably the largest adult production company. Give us some insight into those years. Um, I mean, it, it was arguably that, and, uh, you, I had, you know, the vivid contract girls, there was about 13 of them that I worked closely with and promoted. There was the company itself. There was Steven Hirsch, the owner, and it mm-hmm. was just working the biggest. It was doing things on a big scale, being acting and performing as if you're at the number one company and promoting it in such a way. So Right. Uh, I was given free reign, you know, uh, my experience with bands just transferred into working adult film stars and an, an adult production company and doing just these incredible projects and putting incredible taking ideas and working with different companies and and, you know, having the opportunity to take an idea and run with it. Um, hmm. I, I will always say Stephen was very hands off in that regard. He didn't stand over your back and see what you were doing every day. It was, he hired you to do your job and do your job. So, um, I always appreciated the lack of micromanaging there where I could, you know, as a young kid, just go, Hey, I want to try and do this. I want to try and do that. Sure. But, but there was an aspect of don't spend money. And that was meant in a way of you have all these tools, you have talent who can promote people always want to be around the vivid girls. Uh, we have the best adult product. Um, use that to to negotiate opportunities, mm-hmm. and uh, that certainly was uh, very much a valuable lesson. Mm-hmm. Sure. Now, what made you go out on your own? 
Uh, I mean, my time there sort of ended. The company was going in a direction, uh, and you know, I, to, to be blunt, he had sort of closed the department, gave me a severance, and I oh, wow. was on my own for a couple weeks, which was, you know, I took a couple weeks just to chill out. I had worked nonstop, you know, right when I came back from college and started on Lollapalooza back in '94. So. Mm-hmm. You know, I uh, took a couple interviews and then I had about three different people call me and say, hey, we want you to represent us. And before I knew it, I had three mm-hmm. clients paying me X amount that Jeez. when I did the numbers, I went, maybe I just do my own thing. And I converted Absolutely. the house I was living in. I converted one of the rooms into an office. And before I knew it, I had my company and I started it officially January 1st, 2001. And, mm-hmm. you know you honestly don't look back. Uh, it was, no. it was just get up and go from that point. Mm-hmm. Three clients turned into six, turned into nine, mm-hmm. uh, clients came and went, um, projects came and went and I just sure. took as many of the opportunities as I could and sort of ran mm-hmm. with it. And I would probably say I've had a few hundred clients over, uh, you know, over a 20 year period, it might be 300. I mean, mm-hmm. I've never even counted i have the file and i've looked at it and every once in a while i just sort of love to look back and open a folder and try and remember what what i was doing in and that time so um you know i think you know this as well as anyone once you start working for yourself that's it that's the end game and Absolutely. it just brings so much opportunity uh, it gives you so much freedom um but there's sacrifice there are things people don't understand there's chasing checks Hardest part of the job, obviously, but, uh, but you don't, you don't see yourself going anywhere else because it's name on the door and you get to decide how much work you want to take in. I always, Mm -hmm. I always sort of laugh or smile or what have you when people say they're quote unquote too busy and granted, I don't, I'm not married. I don't have kids. I have a little more freedom than most, but people can decide how truly busy they are and what their capacity is. And how much time they want to put into their work. I have no problem working 12 to 16 hours a day. That's not an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's really dependent on how you can handle. And obviously, you want to give your best to all your clients. So that's always that that is an important and integral part of mm-hmm. when you take on work. But um, I've always pushed myself and taken on as much as I can because there's also a lot of synergy. You know, right. there's opportunities where I've put clients together and they've done business and it's been a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. So um, I just like to see opportunity when I'm working with a client, when I take on a project and see where it goes. Sure. I understand the whole thing about not looking back. I didn't either, my man. Um, what's daily life like in your business? What, what's a typical day? I mean, nothing's typical. So you get up, you get your morning started (laughs) and you start looking at the emails and it could be an emergency. It could be an opportunity. It could be anything, you know? So, um, I jump on as early as I can. And we talked about doing this interview pretty early on my end. So, um, it's, it's, there is no typical, um, Mm -hmm. and you have to be flexible and ready for anything. Mm -hmm. If you're stringent and you say it has to be this way, I think you're not setting yourself up well for success. Sure. Um, you're going to be thrown. You have no idea what's going to come in. I deal with people all over the world. I have clients all over the world. So mm-hmm. that, that inbox is 24 seven. Oh, so yeah. once I wake up and, and turn it on and turn it and, and click the app and look in, uh, I better be ready to go. 
Right, right. Um, I'm sure in public relations, it's uh, uh, really anything goes. Um, I, you know, there's, there can be things that come up that are uh, a little bit hairy. Absolutely. I mean, the answer is yes. And if mm-hmm. you wanted examples, I, I we'd be here until uh, 21. So <laughs> it's uh, it, every day is something. And every day you are throwing things that you can never think of. And that'll be a book I write later on down the road, <laughs> you know, because oh, yeah. uh, some of the stuff uh, every once in a while, I'll run into somebody or I'll get an email from someone or a text and they'll be like, do you remember this? And I'll be like, no, but hold on. Give me a second. I'll remember it as soon as I, as soon as it sort of refreshes in my mind. But every day there is always a challenge and always something that's going on. And, you know, in many cases that just has to do with the outside world. You know, there are mm-hmm. things, we, you know, we live, whatever time we live in, that's going to affect what it is that I'm working with. Sure. Sure. Since we're talking about challenges, uh, obviously we've got a global pandemic. Besides that, what are your current challenges? Well, I mean, this two-month window of three months now, and I, uh, the window's obviously shrinking, of a pandemic plus election just brings the ultimate challenge of the media that I'm dealing with are mm-hmm. pushed to the ends. And you're trying to play stories that might not be timely and might not be urgent, but have importance, and you're deli- you're having the delicate balance of having someone's ear for a 30-second minute, whatever it is, to uh-huh. pitch what you're trying to accomplish versus what's going on in the world right now. Sure. Um, you know, politics, social injustice, pandemic uh-huh. uh, are going to affect public relations and media relations. So oh, I bet. It's a careful balance in regards to that. And um, those are the challenges right now. And then, you know, you, who knows you know who knows what the new year will bring who knows <laughs> when this pandemic will subside when yeah. hopefully there'll be uh, a, a, a more detailed and further progress in social justice and what the economic balance will bring I mean there's lots of things that are still up in the air that have certainly changed with where we were in February and January of this year so oh Lord yes so we'll see. Um, but you know, I've now worked through what 9/11. I've worked through the economic collapse of 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. I've certainly worked through the challenges that existed that seemed minimal of last decade. So mm-hmm. throw in a pandemic that hasn't occurred in 102 years, and <laughs> you know, I'd like to think we survive this. We can survive anything. Amen, brother. What advice do you have for someone wanting to get into what you do? I mean, the work of public relations is relatively unlicensed. You can get, you know, you can go obtain a a degree. I actually spoke to a student at a university yesterday. She uh, wanted Mm -hmm. to ask me some questions for a thesis she was writing. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that she is studying, but I made it perfectly clear that I didn't go that route. I went the hustle route. I went the, you know, take every internship and then take every, take the next possible assistant job and, and climb the ladder and see where it goes. So Mm -hmm. it's all about relationship building. It's all about understanding people and it's, it's all about commitment and Mm -hmm. it's all about practice and just working as hard as you can Mm -hmm. to, to achieve what your, what your goals are. And certainly in public relations, it, 
certainly matters what field you want to go into, what type of work you want to mm-hmm. do, how, how you want to do it. So, you know, the answer is you just got to start and go um, sure. and be willing to make sacrifices for the betterment of your future. What what skill sets do you think someone who does what you do should have? Uh, work ethic is one um, sure. because it's not nine to five. So if mm-hmm. you want a nine to five job, this isn't it. <laughs> um, I think the ability to understand people, the ability to communicate, even the basics like the ability to travel. And I know that sounds mm-hmm. kind of funny, but you know, up to this point, you know, I was constantly on the road or constantly traveling, and yeah. You know, you've got to be able to manage, you know, getting out there and seeing clients and being with people and being with media people and and face to face and and whatnot. So there's there's that aspect, um, which will come back. Absolutely. So it's um, and you just got to love this, because if you don't love what you're doing, especially in this field, you will go crazy and it will <laughs> drive you crazy. So you you better you better want to be all in. This isn't a half ass job. And mm-hmm. I know there's plenty of people that get into public relations and then dabble in this and dabble in that. I'm a publicist. I'm not, I'm not an actor. I'm not, you know, I'm not a screenwriter. I'm not a this, I'm not a that. Uh, <laughs> I'm a publicist. That's what I do. That's what I spend every day working. Right. on. So I'm truly a believer of committing to that focus in order to find success. Well, sure. And it works because if you ask 10 people in our industry, uh, to name uh, a PR person, a lot of them are going to say Brian Gross. Well, I mean, listen, I'm a, I'm appreciative of that. Uh, I don't take that for granted. I'm sure. grateful. Um, but at the end of the day, I also just put my head down and work. And mm-hmm. I like to think the less I say and the more work I do, the better it shows what I'm doing. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's one aspect of success is you know, the majority of my clientele over the years have come from other people. It's come from, hey, we worked with Brian. He can yeah. help you. Give him a call. So right. shoot him an email. So I think that's really important that my focus has always been on doing the best possible work for my clients uh, mm-hmm. and seeing where that goes. Sure. And, you know, you talked about the person who's getting their thesis and uh, getting a degree in public relations Real world, real world experience is always better for someone than just a piece of paper. I mean, the answer is yes. Listen, I'm I'm an admitted college dropout. I went to <laughs> I went to Northern Arizona, you know, for a multitude of reasons. I had a music scholarship. Uh, oh. I was in the music department. Okay. Uh, I wanted to get out of California. I mean, when you're born and raised in Southern California, it's amazing. But when you're a restless teenager, you want to see something new. So I chose oh, yeah. a place that was far enough away in a completely different environment. It was up in the mountains. I lived in snow for the first time ever in my life. Um, and I was on a, <laughs> on a, exactly. And I was on a campus uh, and it was great, but I knew what I wanted to do and mm-hmm. I wanted to come back. And it was a nine month sabbatical, as I like to <laughs> tell people. And so I knew and I, I can't tell you how or why or what I just knew I had to come back and I had to start working and that was going to be it. And I was, you know, I was doing a lot of things. I was writing for music publications. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had, I had actually DJed at the college station unbeknownst to the professor of the department. (laughs) When I handed him an air check tape, he said, what's this? And he got really pissed. And I said, it's an air check tape. I've been doing 
Friday nights on your on your college station, and he didn't appreciate that, which I will always think is funny. And those air check tape air check tapes are in uh, are are locked up in in my storage. But um, I just knew I had to work and I had to meet people and I had to go out and I was at concerts every. I mean, when you think about what did you have to do? I had to go to concerts every night of the week in my early twenties, oh, in my late teens guy. and early twenties. Poor guy. Uh, I wasn't too bad, you know. And <laughs> Granted, right now in my mid 40s, uh, the thoughts of going to concerts every night is a little exhausting, but it wasn't at 20 and 21, you know, sure. so uh, it, it was incredible. Uh, I saw some of the most incredible shows ever. Mm. Uh, I was fortunate to meet some of the most incredible artists ever. Yeah. And, um, you know, those stories that are, they're there that I share with people over the years. So um, but to your point, yeah, it's it's about grinding. It's about getting on the street. It's about meeting people. It's about working on your craft. And it is a craft because you have to know what works. You, you know, you do a lot of different things and work a lot of different methods and you roll with the punches, you know, Mm -hmm. obviously there was zero social media in the mid nineties when I was working bands. Now it's a whole different story. So those are the types of things that whatever technology comes, you have to adjust to and work with. Yeah, and that's that's completely changed what you do, uh, social media. Hundred percent, and I have a lot of conversations with clients about that and mm-hmm. how to tackle social media, the do's and don'ts. What are we doing? What are we not doing? So it is um, definitely challenging, um, but I, I'm all in. I mean, I love it. Uh, oh, yeah. I completely understand the the nuts and bolts and where social media is gone. Uh, there's a great documentary on Netflix, The Social Dilemma, which is a must watch, which is so shows you sort of, you know, the monster that social media has turned into and affected mm-hmm. in society. But, <laughs> you know, everything, everything's a Pandora's box. So sure. everything that has something great to it uh, has something dark as well. Hmm. Yeah, no kidding. As we as we're less than two months away from uh, from the presidential election. You know, it's interesting you mentioned the. Uh, uh, being a radio animal, that was my, that was my, uh, uh, trade for the longest time. And, uh, I bet I can match you. Uh, I'm sure I have a lot more tapes in my storage in, uh, Northern California. I would hope so. I would hope so. I didn't make any money doing it. You better have more. Yeah. I didn't really make any money doing it either. That didn't quite work out. I didn't, I didn't become the next great, uh, baseball play by play announcer, but I came damn close to scoring a gig with the A's. So there you go. So, um, what do you, what does the future bring for the adult industry and other industries you work with? Oh, I think, you know, first off the adult industry, as far as content is only going to continue to grow, even when this pandemic is over and less people are on the content creator websites mm-hmm. and people start to go in to venture into different ways they're still the core of the industry and the need for the content. So uh, whatever the next distribution stream is, uh, you know, the industry will probably be the leader and everyone else will be the follower. So sure. the, the companies that are, are creative and smart and run properly are going to do well. Uh, it's a young industry again, where the people running it are young and you know, uh, are heavily involved and have a passion and are working, you know, to make it a better industry. I mean, there's, there, you know, you're always trying to do that. 
I think the novelty space is incredible. That's only going to continue to grow, and that's stating mm-hmm. the obvious as far as technology and some of the amazing innovations that come out. Um, I think there's always going to be a push and pull of government in America with with sex and the trade, uh, you know, and you've got brothels in Nevada and you've got, you know, different aspects where you're, you know, we're certainly a much better place than we were in the 80s and 90s, but still have room to grow and acceptance and whatnot and just making sure that sex workers are safe. Yes. Uh, I think that's an incredibly important aspect that needs a lot more work to be done. Sure. So it's, um, it, it's one of those things where if you're in it, and you're in it 100%, you're going to do very well. Um, if you get in this industry to just try it out, you're not going to last very long. Um, well, I think that's like I think that's like anything else, Brian. Yeah, but I think there's more risk. You know, people think, oh, I'll just do this, and all of a sudden their image is all over the internet, and they don't know how it got there. Well, that's, that's on you. You made that decision to make this step. So mm-hmm. you need to you need to really think out what it is you want to do before you do it. Um, sure. you know, I think the other thing that's interesting too, and this is especially for talent are the even more revenue streams that exist and figuring out what revenue stream is best for you. Um, I, yeah. for each talent, I have a different revenue stream works out better than another, a different type of content works out better than another, and mm-hmm. they have to learn and learn on the fly. Um, so that is a constant challenge, but it's also just a constant opportunity and more and more opportunities arise when you find out and when you test the waters and see what works for you. And I have, that, that brings up an interesting question. Uh, you're their PR person, but do you often find that you're more? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I think being a publicist is much more than that. I mean, you could throw in therapist, you could throw in camp counselor, <laughs> you could throw in, uh, you know, parent <laughs> you know you can throw in a lot of things yes but you're there for that person i you know i get requests for things that wouldn't fall under public relations but i'm sure as hell gonna try and help them sure so i don't say no i don't say yeah. i'm sorry i can't do that i yeah, I'm we're gonna the same talk. way we're the same yeah, way you, i mean that's 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 just sort of a human nature thing right if someone's paying you yeah, to help so. them with their brand their career and their life per se mm-hmm. you're gonna help yeah. You know, and it's a give and take relationship. I, the thing I stress, my best clients are ones where we're working together. Right. My worst clients over the years are the ones that go, what are you doing for me? That goes for bands, too. There were plenty of bands that I worked with in the 90s that were, what are you doing for me? And then I worked with a band like Metallica, who worked with me, who mm. understood that this isn't a world where I'm the greatest and everyone you know, needs to, that, that is the opposite attitude of all four of the members of that band. And I've always stressed, even in any industry, you can learn so much from Metallica, from their roots, Mm. from their work ethic, from what they do, from the risks they took, from Mm -hmm. albums they made, you might not have agreed with. I mean, they said, we're going to make an album with Lou Reed. And for the most part, Mm. it was not successful. But to this day, do you think they regret working with Lou Reed? Absolutely not. And that was risk and might not have been a reward, but they, at the end of the day, when they're whatever it is, they get to go, you know what we did one day? One day we sat and we made a record with Lou Reed. And Mm. their answer to people that don't agree with that is fuck you. You didn't get that opportunity. We did. 
Now on the marketing and publicity and stuff like that, that I did with them, there wasn't an interview they didn't do. There wasn't an interview that they weren't on time for. There wasn't an interview that they weren't professional for. uh, And they expected the professionalism to be brought in return. And that is why they're the biggest band in the world, in in my opinion, because that and you'll find that with other artists, you know, the you know, the biggest artists in the world didn't get there by accident, whatever their profession is. And we don't see the work. We just see the outcome of the work. And so that's something that I always, you know, stress to people. It doesn't cost any more to be nice. No, not at all. Or professional. (laughs) Not at all. And, and it's fascinating when you see both sides of the coin. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Brian, I'd really like to thank you for being our guest today on adult side broker talk. And I hope we'll get a chance to do this again really soon. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. My broker tip today is part three of how to buy an adult site. Last week, we talked about finding the right site to buy. Once you find it, what do you do? Once you've either reached the broker of the site or the seller, review the information about the site. The broker should provide you with the following. A profit and loss statement of at least three years that's up to date. If it's June and they give you financials only through the end of the previous year, you need to see what the site is doing now, not last year. If it's a pay site, get a username and password for the site so that you can review the content. Ask how often the site is updated. Get some history on the site, how long it's been in business, the story behind the site, and why the seller wants to sell it. Get an inventory of the content and how much of it has current technologies like 4K. Find out if all the content is exclusive on that site. Ask the seller if the content has ever been on VOD or DVD. See if there are any clip stores the content is on. Find out how much the content costs to produce and what the current cost of production is. Very importantly, see if this operation can run without the owner. Do they do the shooting themselves or do they hire someone to do it? And if there is an outside producer, will that person continue to provide content for the site? Find out how many new joins and rebuilds there are a day. Ask them what is the retention rate on the site and find out if they do advertising on the site and where they get their traffic. Ask for Google Analytics access so you can see where the traffic comes from. This information will give you the opportunity to truly evaluate what it is you're buying. We'll talk about this subject more next week. And next week we'll be talking to Danny Z of Z-Bucks. And that's it for this week's Adult Site Broker Talk. I'd once again like to thank my guest, Brian Gross. Talk to you again next week on Adult Site Broker Talk. I'm Bruce Friedman.